Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. And my name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan at Adam Vingan. Go to The Athletic, pay for good journalism. In fact, we love The Athletic so much here at 440 Sports that we're having two members of The Athletic on this podcast this week. Adam, who did you speak with this week on the show? I spoke to Scott Wheeler, one of our prospect gurus over at The Athletic, along with Corey Pronman. Scott does an excellent job of covering prospects year-round, and he and Corey did an excellent job of covering last week's NHL draft. So I wanted to speak to someone who actually has seen the <laughs> Predators' new draft picks play. Are, are you suggesting that my opinion of their scouting reports is not as valuable as a guy who's actually seen them physically play hockey? I'm suggesting my scouting reports <laughs> are nowhere near as accurate or informed as Scott's um, because I do not pretend to be a NHL draft expert. Um, I do not watch a lot of, if any, European hockey or junior hockey. What? I, I watch the what are you NHL. Doing, what, are you doing on, what are you doing on the weekends, man? Come on. Not watching hockey when I can. <laughs> um, so I, I thought it would be better for our listeners to hear from someone who actually knows what he's talking about when it comes to these prospects. So you will hear my conversation with Scott later in the program. Yep. Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. A lot of really great stuff on all the new members of the Predators draft class, of course, because we are we've now entered the portion of the offseason, Adam, where we are no longer killing off former great Predators. You know, like we've been saying goodbye to everybody, saying goodbye to Pekka. And I know there's a, a guy who writes books, like who just kills all the extra, you know, former presidents. You know, like we've basically been killing Ellis, killing Rene, killing Arvidsson, killing Yarncroak. And now we get to like bring people back to life because now we have a, a brand new draft class. So we're going to hear from Scott Wheeler about that. Mikhail Granlund has been brought back by the Nashville Predators uh, on a new contract. We'll discuss that decision. Uh, of course, there's a whole lot of smaller deals that the Preds executed on day one of free agency um, and yet to see some contracts signed by some of the bigger named restricted free agents. They have extended qualifying offers and we'll get you to, to explain all of that. And what does all that mean? However, before we do any of that, Adam, the gold yeah. standard. Yeah, the gold standard is brought to you by who? Jaspers. Always Jaspers. It always has been Jaspers. Hopefully it always will be Jaspers. <laughs> don't screw it up. Go to Jaspers. The food is great. Please don't screw it up. In fact, all of you out there listening, go to Jaspers so that to help us and keep us from screwing it up. That's really what we're asking for is go to Jasper's tweet us, by the way, tweet us photos at Adam Vingan uh, at 440 sports at Braden Gall at Jasper's Nash. Go ahead and tweet them too. tell them how amazing their food is um, and how amazingly free their parking lot is. That that is for sure. So go to Jasper's. It's all great. They got new menu items coming soon uh, and a great happy hour. So go check that out. All right. Do, do you, let me ask you one question. Scott Scott Wheeler is going to do most of the hard work about all the new Predators players. The, the story quickly in Cliff Notes, if you missed it, was they traded the both both second round picks, their current pick and the pick they acquired in the Arvidsson trade to move up back into the first round to draft two young forwards, a centerman and a forward. Uh, and then, of course, they used three straight picks on defensemen. So I, I, I'll let him get into all the specifics on those players because there are many, <laughs> especially on one first rounder. But I, I want you to just give me your quick thoughts on the strategy using your two biggest assets to to draft forward talent and then just stockpiling your defensive talent after that. What are your thoughts on the strategy? I wish I had an intelligent answer for you, but when it comes to drafting, I, I really don't have a whole lot of insight. You know what? It's very rare that somebody whose job it is to be a reporter slash pundit admits when he doesn't know something. But uh, you know, I I would like to defer to Scott. Assume the players are solid. How about that? Assume assume that the Predators did their job and you know evaluated these players correctly, and maybe they went up and got somebody a little early or whatever. Forget about all that. Just stockpiling with two high end forwards and three middle tier defensemen. Just just that that strategy right there. Well, I will go with what Scott graded the Predators draft as. He was gotcha. higher on their second day 
than he was on their first day. Overall, he gave them a, a fairly decent grade. And like I said, we'll, okay. we'll get into that. Um, you know, I, I think the Predators prospect system as a whole has improved over the past few years from being in the bottom third of the league or close to the bottom of the league to maybe in the middle of the pack. Um, they have two high-end prospects in Philip Tomasino and Yaroslav Askarov. They do have some younger players who have graduated from prospect status, but you know you could probably still consider prospects in the in the grand scheme of things, like Ellie Tolvanen, um, Alex Carrier, uh, Tanner Janot. I guess you could throw Cody Glass into that mix as well. So I think the Predators have done a good job of, of as they like to say, restocking the cupboard. But again, I just know that if I attempt to get deep into these drafts, <laughs> I'm going to sound like an idiot. So no, no, I'm, there like, is no other reason to listen <laughs> to Scott's analysis. It's that he actually knows what he's talking about. I also have to admit, I was only half paying attention to the draft this past weekend because I was out of town for my wife's baby shower. So Ooh. I wasn't sitting by the computer staring at every draft pick. So my mind was somewhat occupied elsewhere. I, I, th- this is way more interesting than, than whether or not they got the best two-way true centerman in the first round or not. Um, you were forced out of town, by the I way, to baby shower? Out, no, her, her, her baby shower was at her parents' house in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, so we were both see. there oh. for the shower. That's wonderful. But, but I was spending time with family and, and participating in her shower instead of watching every second of the NHL draft. And the second day took like nine hours. So <laughs> I just well, kept I, my eye on my phone and yeah. spending time with family. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't uh, admit this together, but I was at a wedding in Dallas, so <laughs> I wasn't. I was at a rehearsal. Right, dinner. I just think that I was know, at a rehearsal dinner on Friday. We let Scott do all the work later on in the show. It's well, fine. We're, we're recording this on Wednesday evening, and tomorrow Thursday is the NBA draft, and that and that is the only draft that I can sit through all of the way and enjoy it. Now I do sit through the NHL draft because it's my job. Well, it's only but- it's only two rounds. The NBA draft, it's only two rounds. And as someone who is a big college basketball fan and a basketball fan in general, I know a lot of these players. I've seen them play mostly on television. But, you know, I, you know when I have had the opportunity to go to games, I, I do go to college basketball games. I do love the sport. So guys who get picked late in the second round, I'm familiar with those guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, when it comes to the NHL draft, you know, there are players that you hear a lot about because the prospect experts talk them up. So, you know, I had heard of Owen Power, who went number one to Buffalo because they had been talking about him, they being the prospect experts for the past year. But get down into the mid range of the first round or the late first round. And I don't know who any of these kids are. Yeah, no, I, I and I agree. Like, I'm, I'm, I can do the NFL draft all the way through and I love it because again, I know all the players because they've right. played college football in front of our faces for, for, for at least three years in college basketball. It's not even that major league baseball. It's funny. Like I can, uh, it's half NHL, half NBA, like the, anybody coming out of high school baseball that's getting drafted. I have no clue who they are. It's, it's, this, it's the same way with the NHL players. I haven't watched these guys play and it's not fair to our audience for us to try to analyze them, but we go with Scott, what Scott says. So we'll, We'll let Scott do the hard work. But if they played college baseball, then I know who Kumar Rocker is. And I'm glad that my Mets drafted Kumar Rocker out of Vanderbilt with the 10th overall pick because I've watched him pitch for three years. So it's kind of like baseball is a weird one. I'll watch like the first round and I'll know like half the names and that's about it. So I, I'm, I'm, I understand your, your hesitancy to, to sort of try to analyze the Preds draft. I, I think Scott will, will do an adequate job, a more than adequate job of explaining the individual pieces who they are, and then obviously talking about not only the system being rebuilt, but grading out the entire draft strategy as well. I don't mind it. I actually don't mind David Poyle going as many times as he wants in the first round for the next three or four years drafting forwards because he's got to get one at some point. Maybe that's Tomasino and Tolvanen. We'll see. Uh, you know, uh, They've got enough high-end defense prospect, it feels like, and they've been so good at developing those guys that I feel more comfortable with them drafting 
forwards in the first round if that if that strategy explanation makes any sense. All right, the big news on Wednesday, first day of free agency, Mikhail Granlin is back, of course. To me, when they started making these moves and moving Victor Arvidsson and moving Ryan Ellis, a big chunk of that money was was earmarked for Mikhail Granlin. He's been the most productive, if not most efficient and consistent forward under John Hines since he took over. You could argue, Adam, that he's been the best center <laughs> underneath John Hines as well as far as the total over, over the course of the entire uh, time that John Hines has been the head coach of the Nashville Predators. So um, four years, $20 million. Of course, no protections at all in there for, for, for anybody, just like David Poyle likes. Technically, the salary goes $4 million, $5 million, $6 million, $5 million, but it's an AAV of five. What do you make of the deal? Do you like bringing back me, Kyle Grandland? I, can, I will tell you my thoughts in a second. Well, first of all, it was just a weird series of events. So this morning, I checked in with Grandland's agent, Todd Diamond, uh, to see if Grandland was going to market. And he said yes. And this was around 8.35, 8.40 a.m. He told me that there had been no traction on contract talks. There were people who pointed out to me after I shared that on Twitter that a similar thing happened last year that Granlund went to market and then re-signed with the Predators late in the process, right around Christmas, Granlund re-signed with the Predators. And when I brought that up to Todd, because I said, well, this is the same conversation we had last year, and he ended up re-signing. You know, Todd made it out to seem that that wasn't going to be the case. And then at the 11th hour, the Predators came back and offered four years and around $20 million. I believe it was slightly less. It might have been four by 475. Granlin and Diamond asked for five straight up, four by five, and the Predators agreed. That's a little, that's a little picky on his part. Just... You know, well, what's a hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> right? But they had been going back and forth for about oh, a week and a half. And you know, one thing that I have picked up on in conversations is that the predators are, are, are reluctant to hand out longer term deals because probably because of what's happened recently. Matthew Shane hasn't worked out. Ryan Johansson's contract hasn't aged well. Kyle Turris's contract was a disaster. You can make the case that Ryan Ellis's contract wasn't going to age well, and he only made made it through two of the eight years before they traded him. Well, and it was an impetus behind the trade to some degree, right? You know, in some in, in some form, yes. So I think from Granlin's point of view, I have to imagine that they were thinking, well, don't punish me for <laughs> things that other players did. You know, because other players haven't panned out with long-term deals doesn't mean that I'm not going to. Um, and I think the Predators had to make a concession on that term in order to get Granlin back under contract. And, and, and I, I will correct myself. I said 100000 I should have said a million dollars. So, you know, a million dollars is a bigger deal than, than a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. I'm yes. sorry. Tomato, tomato. But I, I, I would argue over a million dollars too, I guess. Yes. So when I look at this contract, I think 5 million is right around the ceiling that I would have given Grandland um, in terms of a cap hit. So that itself I think is, is fine. I think it probably would have been better if it were three years, but when it came down to it, the Predators realized that Granlund has meant a lot to them if it meant giving him an extra year, so be it. What I did find interesting is that Granlund wanted to commit to four years, um, considering the trajectory that the Predators happened to be on, and I asked Todd Diamond about that after the contract was announced. And he said that if he did not feel, and Mikhail did not feel that the Predators were still a playoff team, they would not have engaged as seriously as they did in contract negotiations. Uh, Also explains why he's okay with year three and four. If the rebuild is the soft reset, soft competitive rebuild, reset, whatever you want to call it. If that takes a year and a half, two years, well, he's there for two of the good ones, right? 
I, I listen, I, I think this is very clear. It's not the best deal you could have gotten, but I'm not sure they had a choice. You're, you're getting him from age, what, 28 to age 32. So the first two years are probably a really good deal. The fourth year is probably a bad deal. And the third year is probably a wild card deal year if he plays all four. But he's the most effective player you had on your team at the position, essentially, under John Hines. You have no veterans. You've gotten younger and tougher and bigger, but you don't have any veterans to, to rely on. Depth, depth-wise, you've got your top line, but like you don't have any any guys you can count on. I, I think you had to go do it. I, I think you had to overpay. Yeah, I, you know what? I don't think it's as much of an overpay from a money standpoint. I think it might be one year too long. I, I, that's um, what I mean. Yeah. That concession. So I guess, so I guess yes. And, and since you're paying that extra five million, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't have I don't have a, a problem with the contract overall. I, I think it's okay. about what I expected it to be. I so like I said, I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad deal. Um, I agree with you that I think it needed to be done, even if it meant going a year longer than the predators wanted to. But as you said, you know, when considering the importance of Grandland to this team over the past year and a half, you know, if you, if you lost him, I don't think the competitive rebuild is competitive anymore. But, I mean, who, who are you penciling in as your second line center? Cody, Cody glass, Cody glass. Like, is that what you're going to bank on? So I, I think you, you had to do it and we'll get to the projected lineup uh, in just a second. We'll get to UC Saros's contract in just a second. Great article on the athletic written by some guy named Bingen uh, about the UC Saros contract negotiations, which David Poyle said on Wednesday have just, started eric holla real quickly uh before we get to all that eric holla signed with boston two years two three seven five so uh, at that money i would have taken eric holla back but i don't the injury concerns and the age i can see why the, you, you let him walk so I, I don't really have any issues with with letting him go R- real quickly just your thoughts on him him leaving yeah i think at that price the predators were wise to walk away you know, he made 1.75 last year. His cap hit now is 2.375 with the Bruins. I thought Hollow was fine last year. Not good enough to to bring back yeah. two more years at that price. So I, I've got no problem with him walking away. Yeah, I think I mean, he, he had he had some nice stretches, but I you mean know. he was good near he was good in the second half of the season. Right. He was basically non-existent in the first half, but so were a lot of players. That goal he scored in overtime against the Dallas Stars at home in that early April game, I believe it was, um, or early May game. I can't even remember anymore. But that overtime goal was gigantic. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the game that basically was going to determine whether or not the Predators made the playoffs um, and, and Hala won the game in overtime. Like I said, some nice moments for him. I think he did the job he was supposed to do for the most part, and I've got no problem with him leaving. I wouldn't have paid him that much if I were the Predators. Two and three-eighths, I believe, if you want to go with uh, shorthand there. Um, So we'll get to all the qualifying offers, some of the restricted free agents. UC Soros obviously is the big one. What does that negotiation look like over the next few days? We'll get to that coming up in just a few minutes. Scott Wheeler's still on deck as well, so we'll talk to him about the NHL draft. So all of that coming up uh, in just a few minutes. However, before we we take a quick pause here, all of the smaller deals that the Preds did on on day one of free agency, I, I don't know how many people need to know how many of these names. I can rattle them off. I've got one name that I think is way more important than the rest of them, and that is the goaltender. But uh, you've got Matt Tennyson, who was signed to a two-year contract, a defenseman who's played eight years, but only 165 games. Matt Luff, who's played 64 games, I think, for the Kings in a couple of years. Anthony Richards was uh, Richard was was a, a restricted free agent. Michael McCarron was a restricted free agent for the National Predators, both guys there. And then, of course, the one that I think matters, who's who's been in the league for five years and is penciled in right now as the backup goaltender to UC Saros, and that is David Riddich, who's played for Calgary and Toronto five seasons, one year, $1.25 million. What, what do people need to know about this collection of players, Adam? Well, I think the, as you said, the, the one that's most important is David Riddich. He began his career with the Calgary Flames, uh, traded, I believe it was, at the deadline last season to the Toronto Maple Leafs, appeared in four games for them, three starts, uh, but spent the bulk of his career with the Calgary Flames. Uh, his best season uh, was during the 2018-19 season. 
He went 27, 9, and 5 with a 261 goals against average and 911 save percentage that season. The following year, 1920, he started 48 games, 24, 17, and 6 with a 2.97 goals against and a 907 save percentage. For his career, he has a 2.82 goals against average and a 907 save percentage. He's, he, you know, his nickname is Big Save Dave. Um, <laughs> so that's fun. I mean, I think, you know, it fits what the Predators were looking for. Um, he's an experienced goaltender, as I said, has started more than 40 games twice in his NHL career. You are not concerned that he is going to uh, take over for UC Soros. I mean, it's, <laughs> he's clearly the backup. So UC Soros entrenched as the number one goaltender, a guy in Riddich who, you know, you can confidently say can play 25 to 30 games, give you solid goaltending. And if something were to happen to UC Soros, he has the experience to play um, multiple games in a row. I mean, it's about what I expected. There were, there were yeah. other, there were other goalies available who I thought would have been better but they signed for a lot more money. You know, I'm thinking about Freddie Anderson. I'm thinking about Peter Morazic, Yaroslav Halak, you know, hey, so. Trivia tri- yeah. tri- question for you. And I don't know if you have the answer, so I'm surprising you on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those of, and, and listeners, when's the last time a Predators goalie started a game who was acquired via free agency? A Predators goalie. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer. So I'm asking. Okay. So I'm trying to think. So last year it would have been just Pekka and UC. It's been Pekka and UC for a while. Carter Hutton. It might've, it might've been Carter Hutton. He was a free agent, I believe. Okay. I was, I mean, I was asking that not necessarily like rhetorically, but just sort of as like a, a general question. The last time he played for the Preds would have been what? Six, 2016. He started a couple of games. So yeah, Carter, Carter, was a free agent signing in 13. 2013. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to think of who else would have started games right. since then. Pekka. Maybe a call up from the AHL, maybe. Marek Marek Mazinich. Yeah, yeah. Was a, yeah. Was, a, was, a, was a draft pick, I believe. Right. So, so again. It might have so been Carter Hutton, who, by the way, uh, signed with the Arizona Coyotes today. You'll have some time to talk about goaltender signing other contracts in just a second. So okay, let's let's move along here. Any of those other names? You know, McCarron had his moments. You and I, I remember sitting in the press box going like, "Man, you noticed that dude," but I I don't know if any of these other guys like McCarron. You know, I think about you know moments in the season where you wonder what might have happened if, and Michael McCarron started a game. I believe Colton Sissons was out injured. And McCarron started a game in between, I would have assumed, I assume Trennan and Olivier. And it was against Tampa. And at the end of the game, which was out of hand, McCarron elbows, I think it was Yanni Gord. Maybe it was Tyler Johnson. I can't remember. It was some, mem- some much smaller member of the Lightning. <laughs> and because McCarron's like six foot six. And he was suspended, I think, for two or three games. You know, I think Sissons came back, Janot came in. It's like, yeah. what might have happened? for Michael McCarron, if he wouldn't have gotten himself suspended, you know, could he have played a bigger role on the team? Um, I mean, if you talk no. about, talking about, you know, getting bigger and more tough physical, that's your dude. So. <laughs> right. To your point, uh, the predators dispensed qualifying offers on Monday, um, which is basically a formality to, to maintain the rights of a restricted free agent. If they would not have qualified a restricted free agent, then that player would have become an unrestricted free agent. Uh, they re-signed Jeremy Davies to a one-year contract. They re-signed Ben Harper to a one-year contract. Uh, today, they re-signed Anthony Richard to a one-year contract. So F- the, Fan favorite Ben Harper. Fan yes, favorite. fan favorite Ben Harper. So the RFAs who are um, still unsigned, um, notably... Dante Fabro, UC Soros, Ellie Tolvanen, Tanner Janot, and Matthew Olivier. I believe Ren Pitlick as well. And Ren Pitlick, so, yes. So that's a perfect segue. So we will get to all of those names. What the hell is going on in Chicago? Most notably, you know, as far as making big moves, they've signed Seth Jones and acquired a goaltender. So we'll get to 
all the qualifying offers. What does the negotiation look like with UC Saros, Ellie Tolvanen, and some other Dante Fabro, probably those three big names in, in particular. Uh, what the hell's going on in Chicago? And of course, Scott Wheeler is going to recap the draft all when we come back right here on the Gold Standard. The Gold Standard is brought to you by Jaspers. They have a wonderful happy hour. They have frozen alcoholic popsicles that you can enjoy on a hot afternoon. And I, I don't think they're open at 6 a.m., but I suppose you could go by and park for free and see if you can get an alcoholic popsicle to watch the Olympics at 6 a.m. I don't know, Adam. Are you watching the Olympics? Are you all in on the Olympics? Go to Jasper's, by the way. I, I'm watching bits and pieces of it. I, I'm not sitting down and watching anything. I did watch uh, the second half of the U.S.'s loss to France in its first basketball game. Yuck. Which was disheartening. Um, but oftentimes I just look at, you know, if I'm, if I have time to sit down and, and, and watch the Olympics, whatever's on. So I've watched swimming, um, I've watched gymnastics, I've watched handball, handball. I've watched, yes. I've watched skateboarding. I've watched three on three basketball. Um, but there's, I have not, I have not said I need to sit down and watch this tonight. It's like, whatever's okay. on, right. whenever I sit down is what I'm watching. I, I, uh, I go through the on-demand thing and just click on like the little metal moments and I play them for my kids and the four-year-old and the three-year-old, they love the, uh, the women's skateboarding, like, like, uh, I don't know what it's called, like the single big trick or whatever. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure that's the exact terminology I'm using. It was, they were a bunch of dope tricks at them. Um, the surfing, they love the surfing. They're big on that. They're of course, they're huge on the gymnastics. Uh, I'm just curious, like if Adam Vingen, and by the way, go to Jasper's because the menu is great and you can watch the Olympics in, in primetime if you want during the happy hour and their menu is constantly evolving. If Adam Vingen, and I know you're a huge hoops fan, so take sort of like the main sports off the table. Like if Adam Vingen is going to be an Olympic caliber athlete in a sport in the summer games, what is Adam Vingen great at? <laughs> Nothing. Well, I'm, maybe, I'm giving you the talents. I'm just bestowing them upon you. Maybe three on three basketball. No, you're you're not allowed to do basketball. Not, I'm not off. allowed to do basketball. No. no. Um, pick like a weird one of which which weird sport. Like, are you going to be great at the air rifle? You know, is BMX is BMX in the uh, in the Olympics? I think they do the. Um, you know how in snowboarding in the Winter Olympics they do that like downhill where there's like eight people yeah. on one course. I think they have that for like bikes. That would be cool. I, if if there's some sort of BMX uh, event, maybe that. Okay. I, I think surfing is what I would want to win a gold medal in surfing. I'd want to be like, I'm the best surfer in the world. I, I think that's what I would want to call myself. That's a good thing. I mean, I grew up at the beach, so you would think that I would know how to surf, but I don't. Um, I tried skateboarding, didn't do it very well. Um, but I do <laughs> yeah. know how to ride a bike. You have a very X Games vibe to you. Like you're very, you have a very <laughs> X Games, you know, you're giving off a lot of X Games vibes for sure. I never had a BMX bike. I, I, I remember wanting one when I was younger, but they're very impractical. Like if you're not actually using them to do tricks. Because <laughs> um, like you can't sit down and ride because your knees right, come up. And like, it's a smaller bike. It's a smaller bike. It's a lighter <laughs> bike. They've got the pegs you know, on the wheels for tricks. You could put a little basket on the front for pretzel. It'd be great. <laughs> if there was Olympic razor scootering, I would have been really good at that. Oh, that's terrible. Don't admit that. Don't I, I had a razor scooter when I was younger. Don't Ain't nothing wrong with that. Don't admit that. Um, go to Jasper's. On your scooter. Go to Jasper's on your scooter. If that's you fair. live nearby, take your scooter. <laughs> And, and then I, can you get a DUI on a scooter? Like, is that on a, you can get one on a bike. I know that. I think you can get one on a horse. You definitely can get one on a horse, which is totally bizarre, but I guess so it's a pretty you can get one on a horse, horse and technically you're, I mean, I guess you're guiding the horse, even though the horse is doing all the work. Razor, I, razor responsibly ride your horse. Well, I think you can get a DUI on like a bird scooter, right? Like one of the I, electric I don't know. scooters. I don't know. I, equine responsibly is that the right phrase when you go to jasper's park your horse for free there's then... plenty of parking you can fit a horse in the parking lot <laughs> if necessary 
The menu is constantly evolving. The happy hour is great. They've got a special every single night, almost every single night of the week. Uh, they're putting some new menu items together right now as we speak. They're going to be on the menu soon because, of course, Jasper's is the next evolution of the sports bar. Again, free parking, great menu, Deb Paquette, Four Top Hospitality, trusted name in the Nashville market. And uh, equine responsibly, all right? BMX responsibly, skateboard responsibly. If you go to Jasper's and you eat some frozen alcoholic popsicles or drink, drink them, eat them. I don't know what you do with them. But whatever you do with them, and you have a few too many, just leave your horse in the parking lot, okay? I don't know how you get someone to pick up the horse for you, but just leave the horse there. And right? pick up after the horse. <laughs> exactly. Uh, go to Jasper's, everybody. All right, we'll get to Scott Wheeler in just a minute here and what is going on with the Chicago Blackhawks. But let's begin quickly here and, and roll through the strategy that David Poyle, the Predators, what they are doing right now with these, you know, qualified offers. That means they have the rights to negotiate with, namely UC Saros. You've already rolled through the list. The most important ones are UC Saros, Ellie Tolvanen, and Dante Fabro. Also, Matthew Olivier, Rem Pitlick, Tanner Janot. So those are a lot of pieces of the puzzle there uh, for this team. And you and I started talking about UC Saros months ago about this contract. And it was always in the... 12, three for 12 or four for 16 or whatever, that kind of territory, you know, three and a half, four, four and a half million dollars, somewhere in there. It, it's, it now sounds like reading your piece. I recommend everybody go read it on the athletic and also looking at the Philip Grubauer contract, which was six years, 5.9 million per with Seattle. It sounds like Adam, you are of the belief that this negotiation is much higher than three and a half or $4 million. Well, I think that's what the Predators would like. I think the Predators would like it to be in the three to four million dollar range. You know, I think of you mentioned Philip Grubauer, who may have been the surprise of day one of free agency, leaving Colorado and signing in Seattle. Grubauer's previous contract was three years, 10 million, which is 3.333, whatever. <laughs> Another contract that came to mind was Tristan Jari. Um, with the Pittsburgh Penguins, three times three and a half. But you know, my sense is that the that the Soros camp is looking for something in the five to six million dollar range, which I think is fair. And in this article you referenced, I, I went back and I looked for goaltenders who, like Soros, were restricted free agents coming off of their second contracts, like UC is and signing long-term. And there were five uh, that I found. Connor Hellebuck, uh, six years with a 6.166 cap hit. John Gibson, eight years with a $6.4 million cap hit. Andre Vasilevsky, eight years with a $9.5 million cap hit. Matt Murray, four years with a $6.25 million cap hit. And Thatcher Demko, five years with a $5 million cap hit. So Vasilevsky, of course, is the outlier. UC Soros is not going to make Andre Vasilevsky money. Um, no, but, nor should nor should he. But when I look at the Demko contract, to me, you know, Thatcher Demko, who resigned with the Vancouver Canucks near the end of last season uh, for five times five. Um, to put this into perspective, Demko at the end of the season had started seven had appeared, excuse me, in seventy two games. UC Soros has appeared in 155. So if Demko is making five by five, Soros should theoretically make more than that. The, the, the more I read about this, the more I thought about it, they have no leverage. The Nashville Predators have no, no they have they, they have, have no, no leverage. leverage. They, the they, only they, the only leverage they have is like this nebulous thought that like he's not as talented as those guys you just mentioned because he's small. Like that's like the only thing that they can actually use in a negotiation. And I don't, I'm not even sure that's a thing you can use because the guy just finished top six in the Vesna and top 12 in the Hart trophy. Like he carried you to the playoffs. Like you have no leverage here and you have no starting goaltender. Right. <laughs> you, if, Pecorine, if Pecorine were coming back, you know, you could use that against Saros, I guess saying, well, if you, we don't need you as much as you need us or what have you, because we still have Pecorine, but you know, you don't want to go into a season with David Riddich as your starting goaltender. So one thing to keep in mind in all of this, UC Saros is eligible for arbitration. August 1st is the deadline uh, for players to uh, file for arbitration. 
the Predators would be wise not to get to that point. Um, UC Soros is one year away from unrestricted free agency. If they go to arbitration and a neutral arbitrator awards UC Soros a one-year deal, it leads him right into unrestricted free agency. Uh, that's a risky proposition. And one thing to keep in mind, and I mentioned this in the story, uh, UC Soros's agent is also Shea Weber's agent. Um, and as Predators fans know, uh, before <laughs> Shea Weber signed that 14-year offer sheet um, from the Philadelphia Flyers, received a one-year $7.5 million contract in arbitration and what was a contentious hearing. So you know that Soros's agent is willing to go there. He, I, I'm sure he doesn't want to go there. I'm sure the Predators don't want to go there either. Just, but, just pay him. Just but pay they him. have a history, um, which is something to keep in mind. Adam, there, there is no soft reset. There is no competitive rebuild. There is no bubble playoff conversation. There's none of this. You got to pay the guy. I think the no, only question I, I, is the only yeah. question is does he want six years, five years? Do you want to give him three years? I think the only question is the term. No, I think at this point it's probably going to be. I, I think it's probably going to be at least five years, and I think that's a good number because a scar off is not expected to arrive in North America until 2023, and even then, he is unlikely to be ready to play in the NHL full time. You know, so I think five years is a good amount of time for UC Soros to be the starting goaltender. And if at some point in that five-year term, he and Askarov are splitting starts, or if Askarov takes over and UC is the backup in the final year of that contract, that's fine. You know, I, I do not think the Predators can risk low-balling UC Soros. So yep. to me, a five-year contract with a cap hit between five and $6 million is the sweet spot. And yep. I, and I, so if, whether it's five twenty-five, five thirty, five twenty-seven and a half, I don't know, but as, something in that range. As of recording, am I correct? We're recording this on late on Wednesday evening. Uh, am I correct in, in there? They have around 20, 20 ish million dollars in cap space. I, I, I can, I can vamp while you, you check. But... I, I've got cap friendly right here. They have 20.7-ish million okay, pretty close. Uh, after re-signing Randland, signing Riddich. So let's... That, that, includes, that includes Matt Luff's cap hit as well. Oh, God, can't, can't forget about that 750. Um, yeah. That's the money that, that, that Grandland was arguing for. Um, so so let, let's, let's assume there's five or six more of that off the, off the books to Soros. Let's just say they get it done. And, Cause I think they have to, I don't think they have a choice. So whatever, if he wants it to be five and a half, whatever. I think five by six is fine. 30 million, you know, I, you know, whatever, take that six off. You're down to about 14. I think Olivier Jeannot and Pitlick are all relatively easy contracts to get, to get signed. I don't think any of them are going to break the bank and all of them are nice young building block pieces, sign them to some, whatever you want to call them deals. And, 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 you know, if they're a million, a million and a half, whatever you want to do, I don't know what the numbers are on those guys, but I'm not overly concerned about them. So I will just run down the contract projections according to evolving hockey uh, for the RFAs in question. But hold off on Fabro and Tolvanen for a second. Okay, let's see. Because I think we can get Olivier Jeannot and Pitlick out of the way pretty quickly here. I, I just okay. don't. I don't so see them having any trouble resigning. Jeannot's projection is a two-year contract with a one point oh three one million dollar cap hit. Matthew Olivier is a one-year contract with a 905500 cap hit. Pitlick is a one-year deal with a $752,300 cap hit. All right. Let's call them a million each, just for the sake of the conversation. Okay. And then six for Soros. So I'm going to overestimate a little bit here. So you're at nine. So now you're down to $11 million. Now you've got Fabro and Tolvanen. Is there a strategy to re-sign both of them to longer-term deals the way David Poyle has been known to do give the money earlier. I think with Tolvanen to me, I would look at him as a, as a primo candidate for that six year, 12 million, you know, 14 I was going million. To say, maybe you give him the Cali yarn croak. Deal. I, I mean that to me, that's like, if you, if you want to, 
you know, if I'm if I'm Tolvin and I don't know if I sign that, but if, if I'm if I'm looking to do that with one of those two guys and maybe go over the top to get him signed in under long term, I would like to see that with Tolvin. And I don't know how you feel about Fabro in that category. Yeah, I think Fabro would be better off with a bridge deal. I mean, I think both of them would probably be better off with bridge deals. And the projections for them are Fabro is a three year term with a roughly two point eight million dollar cap hit. And Tolvanen is a two-year term with a roughly $1.4 million cap hit. You know, if I had to choose which of those two I would go for the Cali Yarn Croak special, I would I would choose Tolvanen. Agreed. But I don't think either of them are going to be that expensive. And the other thing you have to keep in mind, and we don't have to get into too much depth about this because I'm sure we'll talk about it later in the summer. Um, you also have to keep in mind that there needs to be enough space after next season to re-sign at Coleman. Yep. yep. So you which have is- to, yeah. Which yes, is probably there. probably fifteen million dollars. <laughs> Just yeah, I would say somewhere between thirteen and fifteen total. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it, it it sounds like we expect all these deals to get done. They probably will. You know, by the time you're listening to this, they could have already gotten done. Uh, but those are sort of the benchmark numbers. I'm not overly concerned about a lot of these pieces. I think they'll all be back. Grandland's the big piece of news, of course. Um, so before we get to what the hell is going on in Chicago, uh, let's hear from Scott Wheeler. Of course, you had a chance to sit down with him. The Predators went forward. They went center forward in the first round, trading up using their Arvidsson pick, of course. And then they acquired three defensemen and a forward on day number two. And since you and I don't watch KHL, OHL, WHL, college, minor league, youth hockey league, prospects we're going to let an expert who does tell you all about these guys scott wheeler here is your conversation with the athletic scott wheeler scott thanks for joining us here today um you are much smarter when it comes to nhl prospects than i am so i figured instead of me pretending to know everything about these players i would go to the expert as someone who watches them year round and does a fabulous job with our with our colleague Corey Pronman of analyzing NHL prospects and farm systems. So of course, let's start with the first round for the Predators. They had two picks in the first round, Fedor Svechkov and Zachary LaRue, excuse me. Um, in your day one grades, you put the Predators in what you call the overtime losers category, which you describe as teams I believe could have done better, but might in time be happy with their pick or picks regardless. So why don't we start with a breakdown of those two players and why after day one, you thought the Predators were in that quote unquote overtime losers category? Yeah. So Fedor is an excellent sort of two-way center. And this was a draft class that really racked players who could play down the middle. A lot of the kids who are listed at the top of this draft as centers are actually probably going to end up as wingers at the, at the next level or even played wing their entire draft year. And were still somehow listed at centers. So um, I think there were kind of some hiccups there with the way that some of the positions were sorted at the top of this draft. And then Svechkov was legitimately a center and, and that's a big deal. And when he looks like he does, which is as kind of a two way complimentary piece I think there's value to that in the first round still I just felt like 19 was a little bit too high he was actually a kid who heading in there were some scouts believed was kind of in that 10 11 12 range once you got out of that that core group of nine prospects at the top of this draft I always felt he was more of like a 20s or 30s guy for me uh, and if if only just because he never really excited me. Whenever I watched him, I always saw a player with a very well-rounded skill set. He can score, he can make plays, he's got good hands, but there's nothing sort of particularly dynamic about him. He, he's not going to burn wide. He's not a great skater. Uh, he's not a natural sort of rip the puck into the net goal scorer. He's not that sort of really ultra creative playmaker. He's just a good hockey player. Um and there's value in that. I think if he becomes a second or third line center, you won't be complaining about him at 19th overall in this draft class after this year. So um, I didn't mind that pick. I just felt like there were probably a couple of other sort of slightly more talented players that I probably would have taken the chance on instead. And then LaRue is a complicated one. He has run into a lot of trouble early on in his career. I've had several QMJHL sort of rival coaches pull me aside and say, look, this kid is 
a disaster. Like he's, he's just a recluse. He doesn't have it under control out there. And maybe that's just him being really good at what he does. And there's a reason that rival coaches really can't stand him. Um, but it also sort of caught my attention. And then on top of that, there were the four suspensions this year, including spitting on an opponent, giving the middle finger to the crowd uh, and two other ugly sort of plays, if you will, that were actually sort of hockey plays. So I don't know. He, he's a very talented, big, strong kid, can really get to the middle of the ice. Lots of skill for a kid who's as heavy as he is and kind of plays that modern power forward style game where he can really shoot the puck off the flank and he can take the puck off the wall and get to the inside of the ice, which has huge value, obviously. So I think on talent, if there weren't a lot of that other stuff, I probably would have had him about this range. But I ultimately kind of settled with him at the back half of that sort of potential first rounders tier that I had, which kind of put him in the 30 late thirties or forties on my board. And I just felt like if you were going to take a chance on him, that was kind of the time to do it. And that the first round might be a little bit too risky. If he becomes just a loose cannon, who's spending a lot of time in the penalty box in his career or loses the trust of a coach, things can get off the rails pretty quickly. So we'll see what happens with Zach. I mean, he's a young kid. There's time to mature. Um, but, and the talent level is certainly there, but some of that, some of the antics have kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. So the two very good players for sure, uh, just probably wouldn't have been the, the exact picks, if you will, that I would have taken. And the Predators traded two second round picks to move up into that number 27 spot, which was held by the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, to draft LaRue, their own second round pick, number 51, and the LA Kings pick, number 40, that they acquired in the Victor Arvidsson trade at the start of the month. You were much higher, though, on the Predators' second day in your your second uh, winners and losers grades, ranking every team's day two picks. You had the Predators in the overtime winners category, which you describe as, quote, teams I believe did well with where they were slotted, even if they might not have picked the exact player or players I would have. So when you look at the haul that the Predators had on day two, you know, what did you like most about it and which of the players that they selected do you think has the highest upside? Well, I think anytime you kind of go four for four and and pick players that I think are legitimate prospects, that's how I kind of qualify that as a good day. So again, yeah, they may not have been the exact spots that I picked them, but they picked their first two picks were picked well after where I had them ranked. Um, Anton Olsen was in my forties on my board and they got him 72nd. Ryan Ufko, I believe was in the seventies on my board. Um, and, and they got him 115th. So that, that to me shows that there's value there and not just because it's relative to my board, but also just because I think those are guys that are legitimate prospects and they're both kind of in the same vein as players. So maybe they're just banking on, Hey, if we can have one of these two guys, figure it out. We have an opportunity here to have a sort of well-rounded two-way type defenseman. Neither of them are great skaters. I wouldn't say skating is a quality that leaps out with either Olsen or Ufko, but both are kind of not small kids, but smaller kids who are still stocky despite being sort of five foot nine, five foot 10. And on top of that, they can make plays. They can exit their zone. They can create entries. They can run a power play. I'm not sure whether there'll be true power play guys at the next level, but certainly our power play guys at their current levels can create offense. So I really like them They're And and on top of that, I would actually argue that they're both fairly physical for their size as well. So you, you don't feel like you're watching a five foot 10, five foot 11 defenseman when they're out there. So um, I, I liked both of those picks. Uh, Jack with their fourth pick, Jack's a kid who obviously didn't play last year. So that's a little bit of a tricky one, but they, I've talked to people in the Ottawa 67s about me, Matt Métier, and they love him. And they, and they thought that he was going to be one of the sort of truly complete defensemen, again, kind of in that same mold, but a lot bigger. He's, he's sort of huge. Um, but they thought that Métier was going to be a really, really good OHL defenseman this year. So that's just a gamble in the fourth round on a kid who didn't play this year, but had shown a lot of promise and certainly has sort of pro physical tools and set it in, the, in terms of his size and strength. And then I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but their last pick was Simon Knack, who mm-hmm. came over to, to North America as an overager this year led the Portland Winterhawks in goals, 
and just had a, a really good season as an overager in a shortened season in the WHL. And he's a kid who also really impressed me at, at the World Juniors this year. He plays a very aggressive offensive style. He looks to get to the inside and get to the slot and score goals. And then he's got some good talent there. So he may he's the kind of guy who probably just tops out as a tweener if all goes well, like a really good AHLer type who maybe jumps up and down for injuries and can kind of play in a variety of roles because he, he does have some versatility to his game. But if, if that's what you get out of a six round pick, again, that's that's a good piece of the puzzle. So uh, I just felt like between between Olsen, Metier and and uh, Kanak that they, they they probably maybe got a, a player or two there. And, that, and that's a good job on day two for me. So let's talk and we'll leave you. We'll let you go on this. Let's talk about the Predators prospect system as a whole. Now that they've added all of the players that you just went through, of yeah. course, last year. Uh, in the first round uh, at number 11, uh, they picked Yaroslav Askarov, <laughs> who uh, Predators chief amateur scout Tom Nolan said the other day he expects to be a quote-unquote franchise player in, in, in years to come. You can think about some of the other younger players that have had an opportunity to play in the NHL. Ellie Tolvanen comes to mind. Um, yeah. Philip Tomasino um, is expected to get a, a significant opportunity. I guess you could throw Cody Glass into the mix now, although he doesn't have <laughs> NHL experience. He still is 22 years old and yeah. four years removed from being a lottery pick. So when you look at the Predator system as a whole, what do you think the strength of that prospect system is? And when you think about the players who could make an impact in the NHL sooner rather than later, which ones come to mind? Well, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I, I would say that there's there's starting to be a little bit more depth than we've seen in the Preds pool in recent years. If you were to look back at the last four or five years, they really didn't have a strong prospect pool. It was probably in the lower third of the league. It was never sort of cratering out in a bottom five kind of a way, but it was definitely below average. And now you've started to see sort of the piece of the puzzle add up. Obviously, Askarov and Tomasino are the distinguishing pieces there. Tomasino, I think, has a chance to be a 60-point player in the NHL, which is something that they sorely need. Yes. And obviously, Askarov is Askarov, and he's one of the two or three best goalie prospects in the world right now. So um, those are the two sort of pièce de raisie stance. I get the... I, I understand why they went after Olsen, Métier, and Uvko in quick succession, because I would have said if they hadn't done that, that their pool would really look quite thin on defense. Um, so that sort of beefs it up a little bit without having a true top D prospect, if you will. And then between Svechkov and LaRue and Athanasiev and Evangelista, like there are some decent forward prospects there. And then obviously Chistiakov and, and Delgaizo are are decent players in their own right as defensemen as well. So there, there's some decent depth there now. The challenge is, is once they graduate Tomasino and Tomasino is quote unquote, no longer a prospect. When I do my prospect pool rankings in, in February of this upcoming year for 2022, if Tomasino is at that point considered a full graduate, which I think is possible, you would know this better than I do, but feels possible to me. If, if that's the case, it's it's still going to be below average. I, I think if he, if he's in that group, it's probably slightly above average, and if not, it's probably slightly below. So they've made slight some, some progress there, but um, it, it's still a good group without being a great one. I would say. Well, Scott, thank you so much for the time. I hope that you give yourself a break before starting to evaluate the 2022 class, which I know Corey Pronman has already started doing. Um, yeah, but it will be interesting this year. I can only imagine what last year was like doing a lot of this work remotely. I know Scout yeah. talked about it at length about how challenging it was to evaluate the prospects in the 2021 pool because they weren't able to see them play. Or as you mentioned, some prospects didn't even play because of junior leagues, not, uh, not uh, starting their seasons, but hopefully a, a, a more normal uh, 2022 evaluation for you and Corey Priman, who again do excellent work at the Athletic. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. And it, it will be normal by all accounts. I'm actually headed to Calgary in a couple of days to watch Canada's under 20 and under 18 camps. So, looking forward to getting back on the road and being in rinks a little bit more next year. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir. Uh, I'm ready to <laughs> get back on the road and watch some games. Yeah. So, again, Scott, thanks so much. You can follow Scott. Um, at The Athletic, as I said, he and Corey, excellent job breaking down everything related to draft prospects, not just during the draft weekend, but all year long. So if you're a draft 
if you're a draft uh, fan, a prospect fan, these are the two people to read. Again, Scott, thanks so much. Thanks. Great stuff there from Scott, Adam. Good, good job by yourself. Not a bad job there. How do you, how do you feel playing point, playing the role of interviewer on, on I know I you mean, interview I've lots of people. interviewing people for, you know, majority, you know, for a third of my life. But do you, so, public, but do you publicize every word? No, not always. <laughs> so but Scott, um, is, Scott is easy, uh, easy to talk to. Great guy. Uh, he did a really great job of explaining how he graded uh, both days of the Predators draft, as well as uh, the Predators system as a whole, when you include the additions of their draft picks this year, as well as uh, the players already in the system. So it sounds like a little bit of a reach on both the first round picks potentially, but if you're getting, and you can say their, you can say their names, I can say LaRue, but that's about it. Uh, Fedor Svechkov. Svechkov, okay. So Svechkov, it sounds like again, very low, you know, quality amount of centers in this draft. He was one of the only guys that probably sticks at that position. I think he called him a, a potential second line center. If that's what you get out of him, then you've gotten a really nice p- player. And then Larue is like this. I just I love the pick as a media guy, as like a guy who has a podcast about the Predators. I think hmm. it's fa- I think it's fascinating because he's clearly got some major maturity issues, but he also is the kind of guy that I think this roster desperately needs. So, so I like I sort of love it and hate it all at the same time. So um, and then of course a lot of solid grades on the defenseman. I think that you know number one the the prospects in the in the farm system have gotten better. I think that's a number that's the first thing to note. But then I think he said if you get two players out of an entire draft class, you've, you've done a hell of a job. And I think that's a good benchmark for fans to sort of remember as they look at a draft as draft classes age. And like I said um, before, Scott was uh, higher on their second day uh, than their first day. I I think as he mentioned, uh, there were players that the predators got at a, I was about to say at a discount, but that's not what I'm, that's not that, what I mean. That value off of his board. I think he yes, is what he said, yes. you know, like, like 30, like 30 picks later than, than they, than Scott had right. them graded. So yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. So good, good stuff by Scott there. Good job by you. Good, excellent Thank job you. Inter- interviewing. Uh, I'll give you a, I'll give you an 8.0. The Russian judge was hard on you. All right. Well, before we wrap up the show today, what, 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 what the hell is happening in Chicago? Like what is going on here? Are they well, are they, they, are, they uh, are they back? <laughs> well, they're trying. Um, and just to recap, what they've done in the past two weeks, they've traded Duncan Keith, basically gave him away, but acquired Caleb Jones in that trade. Um, hmm, then they traded for Caleb's brother, some guy named Seth, and then signed him to an eight-year. I don't know. 78. Does that sound I right? I think so. Nine and a half million dollar cap. <laughs> it's, um, it's insane. Yes. An eight year contract with a nine and a half million dollar cap, hit, which by the way, makes Seth Jones a higher paid defenseman than Roman. He's being paid more than Roman. Yossi. He's, he's the third highest paid defenseman in the league. Yes. Roman, Roman not, is not, ahead not of next him. season because the contract doesn't start until the 22, 23 season. But in the 22, 23 season, He'll be the highest paid, the third highest paid defenseman in the league behind Eric Carlson and Drew Doughty. So Seth Jones, it's funny to think, go back, go back to 2015, the beginning of the 2015-16 season when Roman Yossi and Seth Jones were on the same team, and tell me that you thought that one day Seth Jones would be worth more money than Roman <laughs> Yossi. So it's yeah. it's an interest, it's interesting. They also uh traded the dead cap money from Brent Seabrook, who retired. Uh, to the Tampa Bay Lightning for Tyler Johnson. And the uh, most notable move, I would think, um, which is saying something because they they signed Seth Jones to a gigantic contract. They acquired Marc-Andre Fleury for a minor leaguer because Vegas needed the cap space. And it's unclear whether Fleury will even continue his career. Um, as soon as the trade was made, there were multiple reports that Fleury is going to seriously consider his future and may not uh, continue his career because he wanted to finish out his career in Las Vegas. That did not happen. But <laughs> what, a, what a shit show. But when you, and then of course, all, you know, the, uh, the sexual assault 
uh, investigation that is happening in Chicago sort of looms over all of this. So it's been a very, Oh, oh by the way, it's been a very um, active off season uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks, but from a purely on ice uh, standpoint, you know, they've been in a rebuild uh, since they were swept by the predators in the playoffs in 2017, they made the postseason. They made when the bubble it, when it, when everybody got in. Yes. Yeah. And they beat Edmonton. So they actually did make it to the playoffs, but they've mostly been out of the playoffs um, since that uh, 2017 loss to the Predators in the first round. They, they picked up some really good young players, uh, namely Alex DeBrinkett and Kirby Doc. But they still have Jonathan Taves, who's expected to return next season after sitting out all of last season. They still have Patrick Kane. And now they have Seth Jones and potentially Mark Andre Fleury and Tyler Johnson. So I mean, it I mean it, that they're accelerating the rebuild. That, that's my question is when I saw the Seth Jones contract, I thought, okay, are you guys still in cap purgatory or have you turned the corner? Have you shed enough of it to actually start investing in your future? And I, I don't, I don't, it doesn't, I, I didn't know they were that close to turning the corner, you know, I guess. It's an interesting situation because they do have some, nice pieces on their roster. Like I said, DeBrinkett is, I think, a star in the making. Uh, Kirby Doc has a bright future. Patrick Kane uh, continues to be one of the best scorers in the league. You would expect Jonathan Taves to be effective next season as long as he is healthy. So when you add Seth Jones and Tyler Johnson and potentially Marc-Andre Fleury into the mix, they certainly are a better-looking team I think the Predators are smart not to go down that road themselves. Another team that you can sort of look at in that same in that right. same light, if you want to, um, is the New Jersey Devils, uh, who made the biggest splash of free agency, signing Dougie Hamilton to a seven-year, sixty-three million dollar contract, um, a nine million dollar cap hit. They've been very aggressive this offseason as well. They traded for Ryan Graves from the Avalanche, um, a, a really good young defenseman. They drafted Luke Hughes, um, Jack Hughes's brother, um, with the fourth pick in the draft. So they are also in a in a position where they're trying to to bounce back after several years of missing the playoffs. So it's it's interesting to look at how the Predators are approaching their quote unquote rebuild versus how other teams in a similar position. And then on the other, on the, on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, you have the Arizona Coyotes who have, I think five second round picks now next year (laughs) because of all of the trades they've made. You know, they made a big trade on Wednesday, traded Darcy Kemper uh, to the Colorado avalanche uh, to replace Philip Grubauer. They got a first round pick and a top prospect Connor Timmons out of that deal uh, they acquired multiple draft picks for uh, from the Islanders for Andrew Ladd. Um, they acquired I, two draft picks for Shane Gostaspair. I guess we got to start to get to know the the Arizona Coyotes a little bit better. Right. But it's, it sounds like the Coyotes fans are going to have to get to know the Coyotes. Yes, I mean they've completely t- turned over their roster. Yeah. I mean in the Oliver Ekman, Larson, Connor Garland trade, they acquired Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, and God, there's one other. Oh, Antoine Roussel. From the Canucks, they also got the number nine pick in the draft. They signed Carter Hutton today. I, I want I want everyone to know that Adam Vingen just did all of that for like four teams off the top of his head. <laughs> it's 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 the job. You need to go uh, to bed, dude. <laughs> I do. So, I mean, I, you know, it's you know, this is it's always interesting around this time of year to see like what actually like all of the rumors that you hear and then what actually happens. Um, so a lot of you know you 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 heard a lot of them. A lot of the ones that you heard came true. You know, Dougie Hamilton had been linked to the Devils for a few days. You know, Gabriel Landeskog re-signed with the Avalanche at the 11th hour last sure. night. You know, I think the, I think really the, I'm trying to think of like what the biggest shocks of free agency were. I, I think probably the biggest, Grubauer was probably yeah. the biggest surprise. I, I know uh, that none, none of the Blackhawks stuff was really free agent stuff, but it no. was all, but it all was sort of tied in at, around the same time. So the Blackhawks were like, the, if I'm a Preds fan, they're the one that's of note and certainly what, what the Coyotes are doing. The yeah. Dallas Stars signed Ryan Suter and the yeah, two have been linked for several days. They made, they made a surprising move as well. They, they signed Braden Holpe, who had been bought out by the Vancouver Canucks. Well, uh, you have to have a player named Braden on your team. You have to have a player 
named Brady. And I believe now the, uh, the, the stars have, it's funny because the Buffalo Sabres had no goaltenders um, because Linus Allmark signed with, can't remember who he signed with Boston. Uh, this and podcast he, is continuing to go because you keep talking about other players. I just but, want everyone like, to know, but, he, but hear me <laughs> out. So Buffalo signed Buffalo lost both of their goaltenders because Linus Allmark went to Boston and Carter Hutton went to Arizona. And while we were recording this podcast, uh, the Sabres signed Craig Anderson, who was expected to retire uh, <laughs> and Aaron Dell, um, a journeyman backup goaltender Poor Saber, um, poor Sabres fans, man. <laughs> but the Stars have four goaltenders on their roster with NHL experience. They yeah. have Ben Bishop, Anton Hudobin, Braden Holpe, and Jake Ottinger. Like, so like they, they have too many goalies. Th- three of them have like playoff experience, extensive <laughs> playoff experience. Right, right, right. Braden Holpe won a Stanley Cup. Ben Bishop has played in. Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin have played in Stanley Cup Finals for yeah. for different teams. So. No, Dallas is that that the suitor move, I think, is a sneaky. That's a that's a really under the radar, um, sneaky, solid, you know, shoring up the blue line there, the dependable player. So I know he's 36 or whatever, but um, you got a lot of former Preds in the division that you're gonna have to watch. <laughs> that, that hey, is, Ryan Suter. That is for sure. Dallas, Carter. Uh, Hutt, don't, 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 don't do the whole list. Don't do the whole list. Well, I'll, you I'll wait till you're fresh. I'll wait till you're fresh and we'll do it on another episode. All right. Okay. Fine. You, you deserve a break. It's one of the busiest days of your year. So let's take a break. We'll, we'll call it right there. Um, and, uh, and listen, we'll be back next week to just probably hopefully break down all the free agent contracts that have been signed, the, the, the RFAs. And we'll see what, what Tol- I'm, I'm fascinated with Tolvanen and Saros. Those are the two that I'm, I'm watching the most special thanks to Scott Wheeler for joining us and giving us some insight, of course, on the draft prospects for the, for the predators this this year and um no more no more saying goodbye right we've said goodbye to so many pieces now we're saying hello uh, i feel like there's a beatles song in there somewhere or a um, lionel richie song yeah yeah exactly adam vingan where can people follow you and what should they pay for uh they should pay for good journalism and follow me at adam vingan on twitter and of course at the athletic.com where we've got uh, wall-to-wall coverage of nhl free agency um you know my colleagues did a really great job you know, I, you know, I really wasn't that busy today compared to some other uh, some other uh, colleagues of mine. Um, but you know, excellent work um, from everybody. So you can read about um, everybody's uh, free agency day. Scott Burnside has an article with his grades. So if you want to get some grades, he's got them. Uh, there's a lot to there's a lot to read. So okay. check it out. Got to have got to have those grades and follow them on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Where should people go if they're reading and scrolling on their phones and want to have a cocktail and a meal? Where should they go? They should go to Jasper's where they can uh, enjoy a gold standard while listening to the gold standard and watching skateboarding. That would be very antisocial to put the, the earbuds in at the bar and drink a cocktail and just like ignore the bartender and people around you. That'd be very antisocial, but I guess we'll take it. I suppose we'll take it. Sometimes you just need alone time, even if you're out in public. <laughs> I agree. I love going to the bar alone. I will not go to movies alone, but I will go to the bar alone and I will have that a cocktail. Seems odd and to and me because at the movies, at the movies, you're not talking to anybody yeah. and you're not expected to be social. So I think that makes sense. Going to a bar. I mean, I I've, you've, I've, you've met you've met me before, right? Like, I, yes. <laughs> I like to talk. <laughs> yes, I know you do. I enjoy going to the movie theater alone when when uh, I travel for for work um, and that meet, and need something to do to kill a few hours. If there's a movie theater nearby, I will always go to a movie. Well, you will have no more alone time for the rest of your life here soon, my man. So just hang in there. Uh, give the family our my best, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Thank you guys all for listening. Go to Jasper's. Great happy hour. Free parking. Park your horse there equine responsibly skateboard responsibly do all that great stuff but go to jasper's it's a great place to hang out we do appreciate scott wheeler for adam bingen my name is Braden gall thank you for listening to the gold standard podcast right here on the 440 sports network